0: Today, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 13. We are teaching through Revelation. We're going to pick that up on Wednesday night. We'll be in chapter 20 on Wednesday. But today, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 13. Not only are we going to read through the chapter, we're then going to draw from the closing verse. We're going to look at the three points spoken of there, finish with one other thing towards the end and take hold of what I believe is one of the most beautiful chapters in the Bible from not only the revelation, what it reveals, but even the application, how how obvious and easy it is. I love what G. Campbell Morgan, a Bible student, Bible scholar, wrote about examining chapter 13 of First Corinthians. He basically said, Examining this chapter is like dissecting a flower to understand it. If you tear it apart too much, you lose the beauty. So our desire is to look close without losing sight of the beauty. So will you join me in, this, in reading this chapter? And then, as I mentioned, we'll, we'll start a little journey through the content. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love. Love does not envy love does not parade itself is not puffed up does not behave rudely does not seek its own it is not provoked nor thinks no evil does not rejoice in iniquity but rejoices in the truth bears all things believes all things hopes all things endures all things love never fails whether there are prophecies they will fail or whether there are tongues they will cease Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child. I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For we now see in a mirror, dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. And now abide faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. So as I mentioned, I want to kind of look at that last verse. Now I will just kind of give a glimpse. You know, it says, you know, prophecies, where there's prophecies, they fail. Where there's different languages, spiritual languages, tongues, they fail, knowledge. It's not that they're, they're weaker, so to speak. They just, you won't be using them in heaven. Does that make sense? There's a season and a time and they will no longer be applied. But guess what? will continue in heaven. It will continue forever. Love never fails. It never ceases. So now as we consider what we've seen here, um, let's talk about first faith and then we'll look at hope and love and then we'll wrap it up from there. Faith. Hebrews 11 actually has um, a description of faith. The importance of faith and the specific personal, some specific personal expressions of faith. If you glance over there in Hebrews eleven verse one, we're told this is a, as a description of faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You know, it's the it's the realization of things hoped for, the confidence of things not seen. Faith. As we're going to see as a gift, faith is also, you know, you see something and you go, oh, there must be something. So you can look in this world around us and your natural, logical, rational, non-polluted way of thinking would be it didn't make itself. Something had to set it in motion. There's, there's too much order. There's too much continuity. There's too much beauty and, and complexity in a sense. It's so compounded. And so you go, okay, well, man, I wonder how it happened. Ultimately, it's really simple. You would see a design and conclude, obviously, there is a designer. And then faith, go, okay, well, how did this happen? Consider verse 3. Not how it happened, but how we'd understand faith. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. So that really just is directing us. Listen, you can observe the world around you, but you weren't there when he set it in motion. As the Bible tells us, he broadcasts the stars. He broadcasts them into place. And so you didn't see that cool move. You know, you weren't there. You have to be able to look and go, but it's there. And because it's there, by faith, I believe it's a creator a designer who set it into place and so you're learning and going okay so this is a description of faith let's also consider verse 6 of hebrews 11 where we have the importance of faith without faith it's impossible to please him for he who comes to god must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him is it possible according to this passage To please God through your efforts, through your determination, through your good intentions. No, not not alone. There has to be another ingredient, an essential element. What is it? Faith. Because when we go to God, we got to believe that He is God. We're not just, you know, approaching some distant entity, some being in the universe and hoping He hears. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. We come to God believing that he is, and that he is actually a responder, the ultimate first responder. He is reacting and re- receiving from you. But here's the interesting thing. God doesn't, your, your longing for God is actually something he planted within you. So you actually initiate, you think, but why did you initiate? Because he prompted you to. He's calling you to him. So it's, it's kind of fascinating how it is. You'll see it in some of our Christianese terms. It implies that we decided to go see God and was actually a reaction to an inner work that he'd already planted. I would suggest to you an element of faith. See, faith is important, but faith is not self-generated. Faith is not going, I'm just going to believe. No matter what happens, I'm going to believe. You know, the determination to believe can actually take you farther from God if it's self-reliance and self-production. Faith too has got to be in the right thing. We live in a time, just as long as you have faith, man, it's all good. You just got to believe. Like, really? You just got to believe? No, that doesn't work that way. You can believe in a lot of things and they'll leave you completely destitute and hopeless because they have no power to provide what you're believing they'll provide. We believe in the living God. Who spoke the worlds into existence, who responds or realizes, rec- implants, even calls us closer to Him. Faith is a gift. According to Romans chapter 12, let's see verse 3. Romans 12, verse 3 says, For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. As God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Now the context of that passage is speaking about the, the distribution and the practical application, the use of the gifts. So we don't want to think, well, I got this gift, I'm something. Like, no, it's a gift. You didn't actually produce it. You didn't earn it. You, it's a gift. It was given to you. I do have nothing to brag about. But notice what he says. Each one is given a measure of faith. We're given that, that portion. and See, I think sometimes we don't recognize that. We're, we're trying to live in such a way, and we're setting certain standards and parameters so we can just be good people. Jesus never called you to be a good person. He never said, I want you just to be good people. Just be nice, good people. No, there's no confidence in that. Now, the fact is, when he calls you to a relationship with him, when according to what the Bible says, when you're born again, the Holy Spirit resides within you. Your relationship with Christ is now born. You're born again in a new way, spiritual way. And now you start living with the desire of the one who's caused you to be born again. You, you want what he wants. You hunger for what he is. You long to be conformed into his image and likeness. And so guess what happens? You start living differently. You don't live differently to please God Ultimately, your different living is pleasing to God. It seems like a contradiction, but it's so important to have the order right. That we have been given this gift. It's been implanted within us. And we now are learning to to recognize faith, to experience faith, and to walk by faith. Let's consider this an uh, an expression of faith, if you would, glancing back to Hebrews in chapter 11. Where we have uh, this story. Now, Chapter 11 of Hebrews, I, I absolutely love it. It's been, always been one of my favorite passages. It's actually one of the New Testament outline passages. So there's some passages in the New Testament that quote parts of the Old Testament. So I'm lazy. I don't want to read all the Old Testament. First of all, it's old. Second of all, I've got the New Testament. So I don't want to read that whole thing. This is how I, literally how I thought as a young Christian. I was blessed because my wife read it, so I just asked her what it said. So, but anyway, here's an outline passage because it references all these different people and these literally personal, like real life examples of the expression of faith, what faith looks like. So let's consider in verse 11 and 12, Abraham and Sarah, specifically speaking of Sarah, by faith Sarah received herself also or by faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him, as good as dead, were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore." So. What do we know? Well, some of you have read your Bible. Some of you have spent some time in the Old Testament. And you're familiar with what this is referencing to. You know, Abraham, who's really referred to as the father of our faith as we see his life example. It's kind of fascinating, really, because if you read about Abraham, you wouldn't say, man, this guy nailed it every time. He was so faithful. I can see why he's the figurehead. No, he kind of flaked out in the category of faith more than once. And another element we see here was Sarah. where she struggled, and yet she's listed as someone who lived by faith. Let's go to the actual story with, together. Let's jump over to Genesis 18. In Genesis 18, we have the account referenced here in Hebrews 11. Genesis chapter 18 We'll begin there in verse 9, and I'll set you the context. The Lord, a pre-incarnate appearing of Jesus in the Old Testament, the Lord is speaking to Abraham, and he's making him a promise. He's reiterating a promise. He's actually saying, hey, it's time for the promise. The promise was given, but they didn't know how long it would take, and quite honestly, it was taking too long. So, which is typical of humanity, even those people of faith, maybe you and I, they come up with another plan. A Hagar, Ishmael, part two type of deal. Like, hey, let's just do it this way. This is how God wants us to do it. So they have a son named Ishmael, not through Sarah and Abraham, but through Abraham and and Hagar. Well, that was not God's design. So now about 13 years go by, God appears and we see here in verse 9 that these servants of the Lord and the Lord says, they said to Abraham, where is Sarah your wife? So he said, here in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life and behold Sarah your wife shall have a son. Sarah was listening in the tent door which was behind him. I don't know that we really needed that. I don't think tense are that soundproof, quite honestly. I've always wondered about that. Why that little point? But other, she's just curious, like, uh, what's going on? What's being said? She's listening. Verse 11, now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. So we're talking about menopause, ding, 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 a few more years. She's 90. She's not going to have kids, and so here, guess what happens? She's told that she will have, verse 12, Then Sarah (laughs) laughed within herself, After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? Verse 13, And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I surely bear a child, since I am old? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you, according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Verse 15, but Sarah denied it, saying, I, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, oh, yes, you did. <laughs> you did laugh. Why do I make mention of this? Well, because this is the story being referenced. And, and we've got to understand a few things. Faith from God overrides the obvious. What's the obvious? It's real simple. 100 years old, 90 years old, yeah, that other season of childbearing has passed. That's obvious. Faith from God overrides the obvious. The emphasis I would bring to you is faith from God. See, God gave them the promise. They didn't name it and claim it. They didn't just say, this is how it's going to be. In your name, I just believe you, God. You're going to do this and muster up some type of spiritual persuasion through emotion and and sentiment to say, this is what he's going to do for us. Notice the order. It's really important to walk by faith. To be willing to receive. And the promise was given. And she's like, <laughs> right. I'll bet. I'm sure that's going to happen. You know, and and it's because it was obvious. But faith from God, he says this is what's going to happen. If he says it's going to happen, I'm just going to encourage you, stick with what he said. Because it's even though it doesn't seem possible, and it doesn't seem even probable, and our little brains with the, the odds and probabilities and the little statistical references doesn't think it'll take place. Faith from God overrides the obvious. Faith will falter, but God will not. I believe Sarah had, we know Sarah had faith because what she's endured even to this point in her life journey. And yet there's times it falters. I mean, now I'm, I know this is Old Testament stuff and it doesn't happen to us today where we have faith, but then we stumble and trip a little bit. We, we have this neat faith that never falters, right? Yeah, thank you, because you're, there's one honest person and all the rest of us are just liars. We all know this. There's times where we're just so stoked. We see the hand of God. We see the provision of God. We, we grasp a bit of the truth of God. And almost in no time, we're doubting. Or we're, we're looking, oh man, I don't think it's going to happen. Maybe I didn't hear from the Lord. Maybe that's not what he said. Maybe that word means something different. I'll look at what it means in the, in the original language. No, no. Understand, you, you falter, you will stumble, but God will not. According to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. We're to be like him, but he won't be like us. It's a real big encouragement, can't you say? It's like he will continue. and I think it's so important because most of us in our own way of thinking, if I am faithless, then God is losing hope in me. If I am faithless then I knew better why do I keep doing that No it's because I am he's not finished with me yet He is not done He's laid out his promises he's given direction he's empowering you and I to follow that and we will trip and stumble sometimes And what he says to you and I is like I know I knew that he didn't he didn't get his feelings hurt Wait a minute Sarah laughing at me, uh, nobody better laugh at me. I created the universe. I mean, you know, why, why did he call her out? Why did he, why did he say through Abraham, what's why's going on here? It wasn't in any way to put her down. It was actually to help her see where she's sitting so she can actually take a different view on what God was going to do. Because sometimes we're sitting like God can't do it. God won't do it. It ain't going to happen. We snicker under our breath. And he's saying, listen, is it impossible for me to do such a thing as i declared what what how would i be restricted the other thing i would say not only do we have faith from god overrides the obvious faith will falter but god will not walking by faith changes your life walking by faith changes your life glance over in chapter 21 of genesis in verse 5 The rest of the story. Now, Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him, and Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and all who hear will laugh with me. She also said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, for I have borne him a son in his old age? This is a laughter, a joy of the heart. This is a different laughter. Now she's just amazed at what God did because her situation and her scenario wasn't going to happen. She knew that. But God. And God said, hey, listen, I've got this. I'll take care of this. And so she stayed the course. Next thing you know, she's pregnant. Next thing you know, she delivers a son at 90 years old. And then she's just laughing. This is amazing. Have you ever had that joyful laughter? Where you go, my God, you are so good. I would have never done it that way. And I'm so glad I've never done it that way. I'm so glad you didn't answer that prayer two months ago. Like, oh, Lord, just do this and do this. And, you know, just a little fire, a little thunder on her head will be perfect. And he doesn't. And you see brokenness. You see humility. You see transformation. See, I'm so glad that we can sit and go, man, man. God is faithful. It, he doesn't just show you how to clean up your life, get your act together, start doing right things. He, he changes your life. And literally, the Bible says you're regenerated, born again. And when we're born of the Spirit, born again, we start seeing what faith really is, this implanted faith, this gift, which then teaches us not to look like, oh, this is how it's going to happen. He teaches us that how it usually happens. But guess What? what if I did this? Now, I, I'm going to mention one point. I already said it, but I want to I make sure we hold this one. Faith from God. It's important to have that. In other words, when he puts your, a, a promise on your heart through his word, when he confirms it to you, then you hold it. Like, I don't know how this is going to happen. I don't know where this is going to come. I don't know how this is going to take place, but I'm going to embrace that because it's from him. The first thing I encourage you, make sure it's from him. Don't, don't, be, don't, don't fool yourself or don't let somebody else fool you. So take, receive, maybe even your own thoughts or others, and then just lay it before the Lord and spend time chewing on it. Make sure it's from Him. Because if it's from Him, man, you can't go wrong. You cannot go wrong. It's an amazing thing. Okay, faith. Let's look at the next thing out of 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13. We want to look at hope. Hope is interesting because it's a word we use differently. Biblical hope is a, a certainty, it's a confidence, it's a sure thing. The way we use the word most often is uh, circumstantial hope, maybe situational hope or environmental hope. Those are more about desire and optimism than certainty. Let me give you an example. Second service, you got to sleep in a little bit. You're here, you're hoping the weather breaks before you get out of here. Because then you can go do what you wanted to do or go hang out. You know what I'm saying? There's time, it's often about environmental. Man, I hope it's nice next weekend. Hope it's nice. Whoever's been thinking that, stop it. We have had a run of bad weather Saturdays. Somebody needs to stop asking for that. Let's just, just joking. We hope, that's different. That's not a hope of Confidence. Biblical hope is based and built on certainty, confidence, and assurance. Here's, I think, a classic example, a great example. Jesus' return. Do we hope for his return? We hope for his return. Why? Because it would just get us out of here, get us out of this world, this mess. That's not why we hope. That's an element of the hope. But the reason we hope is because Jesus said he would come back for his church and take us to be with him and we'd be forever with him. That's why we hope, because of the certainty, the promise. Our expectation, our hope, in a sense, is like, oh, could it be today? Because actually the Bible tells us to always have an awareness that he could come at any moment. If you you put it into terms or doctrine it would be the doctrine of eminent return returning at any moment and so he said that i hold on to that as a hope i don't get disappointed if i wake up tomorrow morning on this planet i still have this confidence that he said it and it's going to happen and it could happen at any moment the beauty to to knowing it can happen at any moment is it affects the way you live not in fear but in that eager anticipation I'm looking forward to that moment and that time. Not because I'm quick to get out of here. There's some things I love. I love family, I love engaging with people. There's a lot in this planet I love. But it doesn't compare to what he's revealed about the future to come. So I'm eager. I'm going to hang, but I'm eager in that hope. It's a it's a certainty. We don't hope in the possibility of his return. We hope in the certainty of his return because he said he would. Now, Let's consider Romans chapter 15 in consideration of hope. In Romans chapter 15, specifically, we see there in verse 4, For whatever things were written before, were written for our learning, that we, through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. So in this, it's referencing, of course, we can see in a broader sense the Old Testament we have where it was written for you and I to learn from it. Now, we're learning from Sarah. We're seeing from these Old Testament examples of what faith looks like, what really, not Christianese terminology and fuzzy weirdness, but really a life with Christ looks like, because there's a difference. And so we're seeing, it's, a, it's for our, our, our benefit, for our learning, that through the patience or the endurance and comfort of the scriptures. I find it comforting to read about Sarah and even about Abraham and know that they stayed the course, they endured challenges, and they experienced the promises of God. That's encouraging to me. That's comforting to me. Now, there's other passages I know you have too that are, that are comforting and that we might have hope. It brings to the awareness of God's presence. It reminds us that he's always with us. It teaches us to not trust in our own ideas or lean on our own understanding, but gradually, daily, step by step, acknowledge him, and he will direct our steps. It's like, oh, wow, I'm learning this stuff. It's a great thing. Consider also out of Romans chapter 15, verse 13, concerning hope. Now may the God of hope... Fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Like faith, hope is a gift as well. Hope is not self-generated, it's not merely optimistic thinking. According to what you see here, what we're reading, it's actually a gift that that it would abound by the power of the Holy Spirit. God gives us hope through his word. And so that's why I want to encourage you. Hope is holding on to his promises. It's not just, you know, financial or environmental or circumstantial or relational. Those can be impacted. But it's holding on to his promises. Hope is holding on to his written word, holding on to the written word. We have poems and social media posts and encouraging songs and various things and Those all have elements of his word, but I want to encourage you, just go to the pure word. Just settle in and soak it in and absorb it and let it be your daily discipline, knowing that you hold on to his written word. That's your hope. People, the the most wonderful, nicest people I've met, have inadvertently disappointed me. Some of the most honorary people I have met have intentionally disappointed me. But people will disappoint you. It's just, that's how it goes. And so you, go, you can't, don't, don't get an attitude towards them. Just realize that it's okay. I put my hope in the written word of God, that he'll teach me how to, to, you know, be less self-focused or teach me how to engage or teach me how to deal with differences or hostility or all, whatever it may be. It's my hopes in the written word of God. Hope is discovered in his word. That's what we see in verse four. That's how you discover what the, our hope is. Is because through the comfort of the scriptures, hope is a gift that He helps us with. See, so it's an amazing thing because you can give a child a gift, and they're fascinated and enamored. This is so cool. What is it? I mean, they get it's a toy. We recently gave a, a gift to a, a, one of the, our young relatives, and you could tell he just loved this thing. But this is like a transformer vehicle. I mean, it pops up and goes like this and does this and folds into this and does all these little things. You got the little peoples always, you know. Trust me, I think he's four. All he's seen was little people, tires, and he's looking for a place to push it. That's all he's seen. But he can be trained and shown, look what else this does. This is amazing. This does this and this. You know, the Holy Spirit actually teaches us about hope. He guides us, and not only as I say, teaches us, but you can see as we're back in in verse 13, that we would abound in the power of the Holy Spirit. See, that we would also have this hope by the power of the Holy Spirit that we, okay, you, you, I don't know who I'm talking to specifically, but sometimes you put too much pressure on yourself to be hopeful. And you're trying to be optimistic, and things just keep getting worse. And you're going to find yourself in a struggle, in a quandary. Because you're trying to have the right attitude. I want to tell you, just Go back to the word and ask God to give you an awareness of hope, the gift he's planted within you. The last one we want to look at today is love. Faith, hope, and love. We're going to have a, I'm going to show a video. It's actually, it's a music video, although some of you may be arguing the music level of it. You were going back in time, like 30 years. This is a song that God used to just, settle my heart through some really tough times as a young Christian and help me to realize love is not a feeling. It's an act of your will. It's not just how I feel about somebody or how I want things to be. Love is much deeper. And we're going to see after we go listen to this. So go back in time with me. We'll, you know, do a little, little time travel back and we're going to listen to this particular song. We'll just go ahead and play it there, Chuck, and we'll, we'll I'll come back up.
1: Take it, the price is too high. The feelings are gone, it seems the river's run dry. You never imagined it could turn out so rough. You're giving, 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 still it's never enough. Your emotions have vanished, you once held a thrill. You wonder if love could be alive in you still. Put that ring on your finger is worth there to stay. You'll never forget. Your promise that day Jesus didn't die for you Because it was fun He hungered for love Because it had to be done And in spite of the anguish His word was fulfilled The things that he asks, he gives the power to do But you know he didn't die for you because it was fun He hung up for love because it had to be done And in spite of the anguish, his word was fulfilled love is not a feeling, it's an act of your will Love is not a feeling, it's an act of your will Of your
0: all right, thank you for not leaving <laughs> Yeah, so uh, that particular song that I've mentioned uh, Spoke a lot to me early on as a Christian Not just in marriage, but in relationships And thinking about, you know, moms don't love their kids Because they feel like it all the time Would that be true? Wow, quiet bunch, <laughs> snickering under their breath, laughing like Sarah, maybe, who knows, but yeah, we know it's true, you know, you just got done cleaning the house, everything's all dialed up, and then Junior starts counting Cheerios all over the floor, you know, or whatever, because he's dumb, you know what I'm saying? You love because it's an act of your will, you, you love them, but it's not fun, it's not always easy, it's often difficult. And so, what would be the reference point? What could we draw as an example? What about John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes should not perish but have everlasting life. You notice it says, for God so loved. Do we know that from magnets on our fridge? Bumper stickers and poetry. Love is just—it's such a beautiful, you know, heartwarming thing, and it's such a stirring thing. No, actually, love is confirmed by action. And the ultimate action, the, the pinnacle of love expression in action, was God coming as a man to die for humanity to pay a debt that they owed. It—it it, it wasn't, you know. It, it, we're told in Hebrews that He endured the cross, despising the shame. And then sat down at the right hand of the throne of the Father. So that was the action God chose. But know this, love is also a gift. It's an action, but you can't just do that. If you, if you read the, the Sermon on the Mount and you see these amazing declarations and instructions, and you go, I don't know if I can do that. I can tell you right now. You can't. Well, then why would he tell me to do it? To show you that you actually need his love. You know the love that indwells you as a Christian? is the very love the power that that literally enabled him to go to the cross and come off the cross and rise from the dead is the same power that resides within us what the bible tells us the love that we have is because he first loved us so that love is then imparted when we're born again and if you want to back up a, a text you can reference just go to 1 John chapter 4 and read verses 1 through 21 it's the whole chapter It'll help you see that God loves us and enables us and empowers us to love in return. So you may say sometimes, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I can't love that person. I can't do this. You're right. Because you've been relying on your own strength. You've been doing things according to your own design. And God is saying, that's not the way it goes. You've got to tap into my power. What are some expressions of love? What does this love look like? Well, that would bring us clear back To 1 Corinthians 13. This love looks like verse 4. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Is not puffed up. Verse 5. Does not behave rudely. Does not think its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Now you think, well, okay, that's interesting. I think I'm doing okay. Maybe if you're doing okay, you could do it this way for me. You know, you just do it silently. I'll give you the example. Where it says love, you insert your name. And just see how many verses you can make it through. Dan suffers long and is a kind. Dan is done. (laughs) You see what it's saying? Now, your reference could actually be Jesus. Put Jesus' name where it says love and you start seeing fulfillment. Perfect expression. But for you and I, it doesn't take very long. We read through there and we realize, I'm not that way all the time. But I thought it bears all things. Believes all things. Endures all things. Love never fails. And so that's the love that's implanted in us. And so often we find ourselves trying to love according to our own parameters. So parameters kind of set a range that you can move through. So here, I'm going to do it this way. If they do that, I'll do this. And this happens, I'll do this. That doesn't work. That's not how it's set up. God doesn't say, this is my love given to you. Okay, I'm going to use it for this over here. And he says, what? <laughs> That's not what it's for. It's for, in the way you can see This thing happening, where we're taking and putting it over here, when we're putting conditions on certain things. I will love if they do this. I will do this if they do that. What happened for your conversion? Did God say to me, to say to you, to any one of us, I will love you if you'll do this and this and this? He did not. It's a strange thing, this agape love. It's an odd thing. It's called unconditional love. The love is there. Now, granted, there's a response that deepens the relationship. We, we get that as you go along. But the love isn't like, if you clean your act up and go to church a couple times, I'll let you into the kingdom later and hang out in heaven with me. That's not it. That's just a form of religion that has no power, and it's, it's not of God. 1 Corinthians 13, we looked at now, abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. There's one more part to, to uh, encourage you with it's the same verse. It's the first part of it. Abide. Abide means to remain. Do not depart. To continue. Even when it's difficult, even when your faith is tested, your hope is dim and your love is strained, continue. Well, maybe you've inadvertently and subconsciously got to thinking, well, it's different for me. It's not. What if you could walk with Jesus, go back a couple thousand years, and you could spend time with him face to face? Do you think that maybe something he would say or do would cause you to go, what? What? What are you talking about? John chapter 6, he actually taught something that was disturbing to his disciples. He said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part of me. And he was teaching them about things to come, but they got grossed out by the concept. And so they're like, in verse 66, we're told that many turned back and walked with him no more. But check out verse 67, then Jesus said to the 12, do you also want to go away? See, I think it's in our hearts often, maybe not all the time, but it's there frequently. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm done. I I, I don't know. I'm not turning away from the Lord, but I'm not moving either. I'm just going to sit down right here. I'm just you know, it just that's just stuff that comes in her head. Lord says, "Do you do you want to go away also? Don't you love what Peter said?" Now, the topic is a difficult teaching. Peter didn't say, you know, I I actually understand the original language because I speak it. <laughs> I'm Aramaic. All right. Here's what it really means. This eat drink my blood and eat my flesh. He didn't offer an answer to the difficult issue. What did he say? Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. I just so love that because he just said, I got no place else to go. It's a weird thing because he's walking by faith, but he's honest to say, I, I don't really want to go, but I got no place else to go. I think it's beautiful because you see reality. Where are you going to go? Notice what it goes on to tell us in verse eighty-nine or 69. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. I don't get your ways, Jesus. I don't understand your truth sometimes. These are hard principles to live by, but I know you are God. You rose from the dead. You, you, you offer me forgiveness. You, 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 you are the only one. You are, you, you're, it's proven in history. It's not a philosophy and a theory and a religious positioning. It's a historical fact that he rose from the dead and conquered death and hell. So whom do we have to go to? It sounds kind of odd sometimes, but this is such a beautiful simplicity. To be able to say, Lord, you, I'm, go- I'm following you. I have no clue really where you're going, but I know where I'm not going. If you're going that way, I'm not going that way. And if you're not sure about that, how that works out, just go read about Jonah. The truth is, when we get to this point where we don't want to continue, I believe that's one of our biggest breakthroughs. I've experienced some of the most phenomenal things when in the back of my mind and coming to the front is this concept like, this, forget it, just go back to painting trucks. Just go work with your hands. Just go do this. Just, you know. And when I just put that and park that, then there's this breakthrough in my own personal life. There's a realization of God's promises. There's certain things that come to, into play. You're going, wow, I'm so glad I didn't quit. I'm so glad I didn't call it good enough and coast along. I have Greg and the worship team come up, and we're going to close out our time. And doing like I, I often do, I enjoy doing... I'd like to pray through a passage of Scripture that's appropriate for our time together, and, and that would be in 1 Corinthians 15 today. 1 Corinthians 15, we'll look in beginning in verse 57 as we close. Would you uh, stand and we will uh, pray together, and then as we conclude our time of prayer, we'll join together in a, in a song of worship. Let's pray. We're going to pray this passage as well. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for just who you are, Lord. That you know our struggles and our confusion and and the things that we really don't even know how to discuss with other people. You're fully aware, and not only are you fully aware, Lord, you bring wisdom and truth and hope and life. And so I would pray, God, that we would receive all that you have. For anyone who hasn't taken that first step, I encourage you. It, it, it's really simple, and it's beautiful. The more you know Jesus, the more you'll long for him. Religion will keep you away, and that's wise. Some actions that are professed to be Christian are confusing. And that's good observation. But Jesus is different. Jesus is God. His love was proven. His love for you. And to receive that life he offers, it begins, and it's just really this simple, just agreeing that he is who he is and he's done what he's done. It goes like this, God, I'm trying to figure some things out, but ultimately I would pray, Jesus, that you would forgive me. I agree with you that I have sinned and I need your forgiveness. I ask for that forgiveness, Jesus, believing that you rose from the dead, that you are God. That you conquered death and hell and you invite me to be with you born again by you so I'd ask for that life I would ask for strength and wisdom to know how to live it I believe you'll teach me so I don't go back into the same old rut and routine but I experience this new life I ask God for your forgiveness for your leading in this new life And for all of us, God, we would say thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. Thank you, God, that you give us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That you have accomplished this, Lord. And because of that, God, as brethren, as your body gathered together, help us, Lord, to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in your work, Jesus. Realizing that What we do, our labor is not in vain when it's done in your name by your power for your glory. And so we sing to you with thanksgiving, with joy and gratitude in your name, Jesus. Amen.